0: Probably about hundred and ten tickets to that Valentine banquet and we had sixty five people come in. That's fine, you know. We we just take Including the other uh, five Huh? Including the babies. Including the babies. So we just keep the other money, don't worry about them, you know, it'll make no difference. We'll just use it anyway. Amen. But we've got a lot of but we got a lot of food left over. But anyway. All right. Uh, brother Donald, stand up just a minute. Everybody know who this is? Brother Donald Beach. He helps us with the class here. He does a lot of stuff around here and he's got a little box over here with books in it. Uh, The books and things that you house your uh, lessons in. And he also has a sheet of paper over there somewhere that he takes orders for tapes. People that missed the class or needs a copy of the tape or something, they have to see him. But I need you to work with him if you will. Uh, He comes in at 9.30, he'll be at 9.30 each morning of the class. So between 9.30 and five minutes till 10. Right? Do your purchasing and your shopping during that time. Uh, a lot of people come in right at 10 o'clock, one minute to 10, and they start getting on Brother Donald about tapes and things like that. But you see, in addition to helping us, he's also a student. So he's got to be in that seat over there ready to go, just like you have to be in your seat ready to go. That's part of being faithful, being on time. Yes, sir. No, he's not going to be here next week, but we'll have a substitute for him next week. And, uh, and then when, when he gets back into Congo, though, he'll be there. And uh, so you make sure you work with him, because if, he, if he's dealing with you over tapes, not only are you missing the class, but he's missing the class also. And uh, he has to get all the information, because he has to study hard anyway. You know, he, It's difficult for him at best, so don't hinder him anymore. <laughs> And y'all understand that there when pastors watching you grade your own test. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we we're going to continue with the works of Jesus today. Let's go back to John chapter 14. And we're going to read verses 6 through 12 again. Let's just read our foundation scriptures. Jesus said unto him, and him he's talking about is Thomas. He's talking to Thomas uh, in response to a question. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. If ye had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him, and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us, or it'll be sufficient. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The works that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake." In other words, the work should be sufficient. If you see the results, uh, you don't need to question the messenger so much. And that's what uh, this next scripture that I'm going to read to you uh, may be relative to. Uh, Verse 12 Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now go to Mark chapter 6. And we start at verse one. And Jesus went out from thence and came, and I know it says he, but we're gonna, we're gonna put Jesus in there so you know who we're talking about. Jesus went out from thence and he came into his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogues and many hearing him were astonished saying, from whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? Uh, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. Is not this the carpenter's son, is not this the carpenter's son of Mary, and talks about his brothers and his sisters being with him. Verse five, but Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house, and he could there do no mighty works, save he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about, the villages teaching, and preaching, and healing the sick, and doing all manner of miracles and and wonders. Now, I added that to that, but you can get that from other scriptures, because that's exactly, you know, what what he did. Uh, When Jesus was here on the earth, uh, during his three-year ministry on the earth, he was very busy. He was constantly going about, moving from place to place. He He wasn't stationary, you know, he just didn't stay in his hometown or he just didn't stay in Jerusalem or any one place, but he was constantly on the move, going about everywhere, teaching and preaching and healing the sick, casting out devils, uh, bringing deliverance to the captive. He was busy doing what his father had sent him to do. Now, my question is this. Uh, relative to the church because the church should be busy also. The church should be doing the same thing today. If you look at uh, Mark chapter 28 and verse number 18, Jesus said, go ye, didn't he? He said, go and teach all nations. Go look at that if you want to. Mark, uh, Matthew 28, 18. He says, teach all nations. Now, I I would uh, conclude that that would mean the whole world, wouldn't it? If he says all nations, because he just didn't send the church to one particular group of people, he didn't say stay in Raleigh, North Carolina, or he didn't say stay in America, but he said, go to all nations and teach them, teach them, teach all nations. And then in Mark chapter 16, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. So the church ought to be going The church is not stationary. The church shouldn't just be in one place. See, when Jesus said upon this rock, I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He didn't say church, take squatter's rights and find you a location and and build you a fortress and stay in that fortress and the gates of hell or the devil and all of his demons will not be able to break in and invade. He's telling the church to break out of the four walls. He's telling the church to go to the world. He's telling the church to charge the enemy, and as you do, the enemy will not be able to withstand you, will not be able to stop you. Go back and look at the story of David and Goliath. When David saw Goliath on the, on the other side of the valley, uh, spewing out the threatenings, he didn't just stand over here and say, Goliath, if you come over here where we are, I will take your head off, did he? He didn't say that. But David actually picked up his stones, little uh, sling and five stones. And I wondered why he had five stones one time, but I figured that out later because Goliath had four brothers and, and later on they were killed also. But David was prepared at that moment to take on Goliath and his whole family. You see, he didn't just pick up one stone and say, well, I don't need but one. You know, pastor asked me sometime when we get ready to go hunting. He said, he asked me one day, you got any ammunition? I said, yeah, I don't need but one bullet. I don't need but one. You know, and I'm just kidding with him, you know. <laughs> but, but I have more than one. I carry a, a, a bunch I care enough to start a war sometime, but, but, but I just kid him. But David didn't just pick up one. He picked up enough to take care of Goliath and the whole family, didn't he? But what did he do? He didn't just stand there and say, hey, the gates of hell cannot invade. He's, he just went running after the giant. And that's what we need to do too. We don't need to just stay in these four walls where we are. And, 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 the, and just uh, combat or fight against or, or do whatever uh, against the enemy that comes to us. But we need to be out there where the people are, preaching deliverance to the captive. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we are to do also. Now, the works that, that Jesus did, uh, the, through the works, he was showing us the Father. Now, I have another question. The works that you are doing, the things that you are doing, can the world see that God is in it? or does the world believe that it's just your thing? Does the world see you doing your thing, or do they see you doing God's thing? Are you out there doing what God has called you to do, or are you busy about building your own empire, or your own uh, uh, kingdom, so to speak? We ought to be busy doing what God has called us to do, be a vessel fit for the Master's use. Now, through Jesus, when we see Jesus, we see the Father. We know the Father. Jesus said, it, it felt, said, uh, said, Thomas, if you have known me, you should have known the Father. If you've known me, take a look at me, Philip. If you see what I have done, if you know my personality, if you know what motivates me, then you know the personality, you know what motivates the Father. If you see love motivating me, you know that it's love that motivated the Father. You should have known. What's wrong with you, Philip? Can't you see? Open your eyes and take a good look because you're seeing the Father when you see me. You know the Father when you know me. Open your ears and listen because when you hear me, you're hearing the Father. I do nothing. I say nothing unless I see my Father do it, unless I hear my Father say it. So Jesus wasn't here doing his thing. Whose thing was he doing? He was doing the fathers, amen. And that's what we ought to be about. In 2 Timothy, uh, chapter two and verse number 21, it says this, if a man, and that would include a woman also, if mankind, if a person, let's say it that way, if a human being would cleanse themselves, would prepare themselves, he says, they would be a fit vessel ready for the master's use. So we can be used of God also to do these same works that Jesus was doing if we will just prepare ourselves. And how do you prepare yourself? By knowing Jesus, by seeing Jesus, by hearing Jesus. Find out what Jesus did, because when he came, he came to show us the works of the Father. He came that we might see the Father. And we know, we see, and we hear. The Father is working the works through Jesus. Now, Jesus is here but it's the Father that's working through him. We hear all, of the, all about that right here where Jesus is talking to us. Now, what are some of the things that he did? Let's just, we're just rehearsing a little bit right now. What are some of the things that, that Jesus did? Uh, he, uh, uh, it says the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the gospel is preached to the poor. Now, I think the one that we focus on more than anything else here is preaching the gospel. We don't mind going and telling somebody, you know, you're going to hell, you sorry thing, you better get saved. Is that the gospel? No. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. And the good news to a, a lame man is you can walk. The good news to a blind man is you can see. A good news to a deaf man is you can hear. You see, the good news is it will fix that person's problem if we will be preaching the good news. He said, preach the gospel to the poor, but and that's what we seem to be focused on, is just preaching the gospel, salvation, get saved, get right, repent. You know, I grew up with that, pastor did too, many of you did, that's all we heard all of our lives. We'd go to church one Sunday, we'd get saved. We'd have to get saved again the next Sunday, you know, because we had surely done something that week. Uh, you know, because we just could not escape a week without, without sinning, without doing something. But So we just got saved constantly. And, then, and I got tired of that. I don't know about you. But anyway, uh, Jesus was anointed to preach the gospel. Let's go look at uh, uh, Luke chapter 4. Let's see what it says there. This is a familiar scripture. We read it a lot. But let's go look at it and see what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is speaking. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. Now what did he anoint him? Here's the purpose that he anointed him for. Here's why God anointed Jesus. Five things that he did. preach the gospel to the poor. Sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Sent me to preach deliverance to the captive. To provide or recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So God had anointed Jesus, sent him to the world to meet the needs of the world. And and that's what we need to be doing today also. Jesus said, we, you and I, could do those same works. So the works must continue then, shouldn't they? The works didn't stop when Jesus left. The works still continue. So let's look at the continuation of those works for just a moment. We have examples to follow. The example of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 22. We read this last week, but it'll do us good to look at it again. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 22. Ye men of Israel, now we know the church is the Israel of God today. So he could say, we could just as well say, now church, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man proved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye also know. Now Acts chapter 10 verse 38. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Well, let me ask, is God with you? Amen, is God with you? Amen, well then you should be doing the same thing. You should be going about everywhere in Holy Ghost and with power, doing good and healing all that are oppressed of the devil. Because Jesus said, the same thing that I did, you shall do also. Wouldn't it have been better? Don't you think it would have been better if he said, the things that I do, you shall do? If he said, the things I do, you must do. You must do. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you must be doing what Jesus did. If you follow somebody, if you follow someone's teaching, if you follow someone's manner of life, you're, you're doing what that person did. So if you follow Jesus, you must be, Jesus said, you shall do the works that I do also. So we have the example of Jesus. Look at uh, Luke chapter seven. I wrote that down for some reason in my notes, but let's see what that says. Luke chapter seven and uh, verse 18. And the disciples of John showed him all these things. And John calling him, and two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or, sh- or should we look for another? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? Are you the one that God is sending, or do we just abandon you and go look somewhere else? And when the men were come unto him, they said, John hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? And in the same hour, he cured many of their infirmities. So apparently some of John's disciples had some infirmities and plagues and evil spirits and things among them. And unto them that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering and said unto them go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed the deaf hear, uh, the dead are raised and to the poor the gospel is preached. So Jesus was simply doing what he had been sent to do. So we have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have the example of some of the apostles as well. Go back to the book of Acts. Let's, let's look at some of the examples of the apostles. Acts chapter 3. Don't you see what happened, what they did and see what happened. Acts chapter 3 and verse number 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. Bless God, they've already created One miracle they are together. Isn't that a miracle? It would be a miracle for the church to get together today, wouldn't it? Because everybody is so busy wanting to do what they want to do. Everybody has their own idea. The pastor say, well, we're getting ready to do this. And somebody say, well, I don't have time. I'd rather go do something else. But here they were together at the hour of prayer. Anybody know what, when the hour of prayer is at Eagle's Nest? If you don't say it, just raise your hand if you know when the hour of prayer is. <laughs> I saw some, some hands went. <laughs> and finally got it up. The hour of prayer is seven o'clock Monday night. Amen? Amen. And, and here they were together and they went up at the hour of prayer. Well, we ought to be together at the hour of prayer. We ought to be here praying together. Now, that was a miracle within itself. And a certain man, a lame man, from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them, that entered into the temple. Now he was just like a lot of other, other people, just satisfied to live his life out in the state he was in, if he could just get enough money or whatever to meet his daily needs. You know, if he could just have food and clothing and a place to stay, he, w- he was okay. He didn't care about the miracles. He just went there every day just to ask an alms. He didn't go there looking healing. He went there looking for money. And he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, and he asked an arm of them. Well, if he had really seen and really knew who they were, he would have asked something else, but he asked money. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him, said, Look on us. And the lame man gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something or receive some money from them. But Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now notice something, Peter didn't pray. He didn't pray one time there, did he? He didn't utter a prayer. Now most of the time when the church encounters something, immediately they have to call a prayer assembly. As if they're begging and pleading and asking God or finding out what God is willing to do in this particular case. But we already know what God is willing to do. The Bible has already given us the answer. The Bible has already told us what God has already done, but the church, failing to recognize that, either out of, out of ignorance or, or just out of, uh, uh, you know, not wanting to believe God or something, begins to pray and ask God to intervene in a situation. But Peter didn't pray. He just simply spoke directly to the problem. Now, in, in Mark eleven twenty four or eleven twenty three, our favorite, famous scripture. Whosoever shall pray to this mountain. Did it, is that what it said? It said, whosoever shall say. So we don't need to pray about some things. The Bible has already given us the answer. We know what God is willing to do. So we just simply speak the word to that problem and we expect it. To be removed to expect it to correct itself. Now, notice what else Peter did <coughs> after he spoke to this lame man and told him to rise up and walk. It says, "And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up." I wrote a little another little place, a James chapter two and verse number fourteen. You can go look at it if you want to, but let me tell you in essence what it says. It says, "Faith without works is dead." Which of you seeing a brother or a sister, or anybody else for that matter and I'm paraphrasing here, but you can go look at it and in, say, in need of clothing, and you tell him to be warm. But you don't give him anything to be warm with. You see a brother or sister hungry, and you tell him to be fed, but you don't give him anything to be fed with. What profit is there in that sort of thing? What profit is it in that? Now, what do you reckon would have happened if Peter had said to this lame man, rise up and walk, and then he and John just went on into the temple? What do you think might have happened? What could have been the outcome here? The man would have sat right there shaking his little tin cup, wouldn't he? Expecting somebody to put something in it. But instead, Peter grabbed him by the hand and perhaps jerked him up and said, get up. I like what Brother Hagin always said. He said, do something you couldn't do. Do something you couldn't do before. If you couldn't bend over and touch the floor, go ahead and bend over and touch the floor. If you couldn't run around the building, go ahead and run around the building. Do what you couldn't do. And that's what Peter was encouraging this lame man to do. In fact, made him do it got him by the hand and jerked him up and said, get up. And the lame man, when he when Peter pulled him up, <coughs> he said, immediately, excuse me, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength and he leaping up, stood and walked and entered into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God and all the uh, people saw him uh, walking and praising God and they knew that it was him that set it on by the gate of beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what? what had happened unto the man. And then, of course, we could read on and you'd find out what a, how a great revival broke out as a result of that as you read the rest of that, that particular chapter. But that's our first example. Then turn over to uh, Acts chapter five. <clears throat> by the hands, chapter, verse 12, by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought, many signs and wonders wrought, among the people, and they were all with one accord. That's another miracle. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest, durst not, or would not join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the city round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folk, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. How many? Every one. Every one. Because they had seen miracles, signs, and wonders, their faith was stimulated or elevated to the point that they believed the message, even to the point that if Peter just got close enough so that the son cast his shadow on them, they were healed. Peter didn't even have to say anything to them, didn't have to touch them, just his shadow passing by, it said they were healed, and then they brought additional people, and every one of them were healed. So that's a good example. Acts chapter eight. Here's another example. Now this is, uh, this is uh, Philip. An evangelist, uh, verse number five, he went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So he's preaching Christ. Now here's what happens when you preach Christ. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsy that were lame were healed. But the first thing that was done was, anybody know? Huh? He was preaching Christ. He preached Christ. So we have examples there. Now Jesus said in uh, John chapter 14, verse number 12, that we are to follow those examples. John chapter 14 in verse number 12, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do, he shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. So Jesus says we are to continue to work. Mark chapter 16, he says, go into all the world, preach the gospel. These signs shall follow them that believe. What signs? What signs shall follow? What is the first sign that follows those that believe? They'll cast out devils. They have authority over devils. The enemy. They can speak, a believer can speak to the enemy, and the enemy must obey. He has no choice but to obey. So he says, in my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Now, now, there's, there's two different ways, several different ways you might look at that. They shall speak with new tongues. The Holy Ghost will come on them and they'll speak with other tongues, like they did on the day of Pentecost, but they'll speak with new tongues. Now, the message they're preaching is not their own. David, David said in the Old Testament, he's put a new song. He's put new words in my mouth. He's changed my vocabulary. He's changed my speech. No longer do I talk about the things that I desire or the things that I like to do, but now I'm speaking with a new tongue. I'm speaking the message of God, you see. So there's several ways you can look at that if you, if you want to. Now, I know we, we always prophetically say that he's talking about the day of Pentecost deal and, and that we'll speak in other tongues, but just think about it a minute that we will change our message. We will speak a new message, and that message is going to be, what is it, Donald? Jesus saves and Jesus heals. <laughs> so we change our message. And we start talking about Jesus. We don't talk about ourselves anymore. We talk about him. Paul said, I become insignificant and he becomes significant. I decrease and he increases. Amen. So we want to get in the background and let Jesus be in the foreground. Now what is the purpose of these works? Now let's, let's just take a look at this for a second. Uh, go to John chapter, first John chapter three and verse number eight. Jesus was sent to the world, Jesus was sent here to do the works of the Father, and in so doing, he was destroying the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, and uh, verse number 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. He that committeth sin is of the devil. So a Christian A born again believer should stop saying, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. You shouldn't make that negative confession. Because if you admit that you are a sinner, you are admitting that your father is the devil. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. That's a bad confession for anybody to make. For he that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, for this purpose, because the devil sinned, the devil got the dominion away from Adam, Adam gave it to him, for this very purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now I've heard some people say that he might undo the works of the devil. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that we misquote along those lines sometimes. People say the anointing, the anointing will break the yoke. How many of you know that the Bible says that? The anointing will break the yoke. No, you don't. No, the Bible says the anointing will destroy the yoke. The anointing will destroy the yoke. Okay? Now there's a difference. There's a slight bit of a difference here. If Jesus had come to break the work of the enemy, if Jesus had come to break the work of the enemy, the enemy would head down to the repair shop and get him a good repairman and come and fix the work. But when Jesus comes and destroys the work, it's over because the devil is not a creator. He's not a creator. God is the creator. The devil simply took what God created and perverted it, but Jesus came to destroy what the enemy had done. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. For whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. So stop saying, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. For, this, for his seed remaineth in himself, or in him, and he cannot sin, Because he is born of God, bless God. That just that took sin right out of the picture, didn't it? Took sin right out. Now, by destroying the works of the devil, Jesus was giving glory to the Father. I got two or three scriptures on that. Matthew chapter fifteen. Matthew, Matthew, there he is, chapter fifteen. And verse twenty-nine, Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee, and went up into the mountain to sit down, or to sit down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at his feet, and he healed them. He healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered. When they saw the dumb speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. So God got the glory. Anytime that you do the same works that you see Jesus doing, you're giving glory to God. God's getting glory out of it. It's not being done so that you can get a pat on the back. It's not being done so that you can be Mr. or Mrs. somebody. It's being done so that God the Father will receive the glory. Now, what are some of the other purposes of the works? Let's just look at some of them. First, the work is done for a sign to display the power of God. Go to 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. All right, where's it at? Where's 1 Corinthians? Right after Acts. Page 234 page 201 <laughs> don't nobody know where it is do they chapter 2 verse 1 paul paul says and i brethren came to you not with excellency of speech or wisdom now now paul could have because he was an educated man he probably could have made a, a, a good speech and probably could have shown him, uh, told him a lot of wisdom. But he said, "He said I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in the demonstration and the power and of power that your faith." should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, so uh, the miracles, the works of Jesus is done sometime to display God's power. It's also done to prove that God is with someone. Now, we won't do a scripture there right now because we'll come back and get that one in a minute. It also is to confirm the message. Go to uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. To confirm the message. Uh, verse number one. And he entered <clears throat> and he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of palsy, lying on a bed. Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. So the message is, Jesus saves. <laughs> see? The message is, Jesus saves. He was preaching the message, and he preached to this lame man and said, your sins are forgiven you. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. Because they're question, who can forgive sins but God? You see? No man can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. So when Jesus spoke and said, your sins are forgiven you, they're saying he's blaspheming. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, so uh, one of the uh, gifts of the Spirit went into operation, didn't it? Wherefore, thank ye evil in your hearts. He, He knew the very thing that they were thinking. For whether is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk. Which is easier for Jesus to do? Which would be easiest for Jesus to do? To forgive sins or heal the sick? Either one is, one's just as easy as the other. There's no difference to him. He can do either one. He said, which is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on the earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the sick of palsy, Rise up, take up thy bed, and go thy way in thy house. And he rose and departed into his house. So to prove, to prove the gospel message, or to confirm the gospel message, that this man's sins were forgiven, Jesus healed him. And said, said so that you'll know that I can forgive sins, something you cannot see in this man's heart, and you know, that's, easier for, that's the easiest miracle for us to believe because we don't see it, you see. I know we say we walk by faith and not by sight, but, but too many people are walking by sight and not by faith, you see. They want to see something in order to believe it. But, but we can believe for the forgiveness of sin, seemed like, easier than we can believe for someone to, a lame person to walk. But Jesus said it's just as easy for me to do one as it is to do the other. If I can preach Jesus saves, I can preach Jesus heals just as easy because it's a package deal. It all comes together. It's all Jesus paid for our healing at the same time that he he paid for our salvation. And he wants us to be healed just as much so as he wants us to be saved. So it is to confirm the message. It's also to advertise the gospel and we'll talk about that in just a minute, time permitting is also to bring deliverance. Go to Luke chapter 4. <clears throat> and we read this scripture a little bit ago, verse number 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, set me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance. So as he was doing the miracles, signs and wonders, as he was doing the works, he was bringing deliverance. It also is to carry out judgment. So let's move along right quickly and look at the two main purposes that I skipped over just a few minutes ago. First one, to prove God is with someone. In John chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2, you can look at that if you'd like, but Nicodemus came to Jesus and Nicodemus said this. He said, No man can do the miracles, no man can do the signs, no man can do the things that you do unless God be with him. So it is to prove that God is with someone. Acts chapter 2 verse 22, we looked at that a bit ago. Acts chapter 2 verse 22. Uh, Jesus Christ, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you. A man approved of God. So it proves that God is with someone. Now people won't believe something just because you say it. You know, you can go out and, 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 and preach any kind of message, but just because you said it, people aren't necessarily going to believe it. Because not, a, not everybody's children. You remember when you were a child? Anybody remember when, when you were a child? Can you remember that long ago? I can, I can. I can. I have long-term memory as well as short-term memory. But anyway, when I was a child, sometimes I would ask my dad a question. Dad, can, can we do this? And he would say, no. You can't do it. I'd say, why? He, what, would he ask, what would he say back? Just because I said so. <laughs> I mean, And that was sufficient, you know. That was, that was enough. I didn't ask again. Just because he said so. But you know, when, 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 people, when you uh, go preach deliverance today and people say, well, well how, why, why is that true? How can I be delivered? You can't say just because I said so. They're not going to buy that. They're not going to buy it. People won't believe it just because you said it. Go, that, that's a prime example uh, in Jesus' life back in uh, Mark chapter six when he went uh, to his own country you see it? It says there that, that he could there do no mighty works. In verse number four, a prophet is without honor but in his own country. A prophet is not without honor but in his own country. In other words, his own kinspeople will not accept, you know, the message that he's preaching. And among his own kin and in his own house. And he couldn't do anything there, said, but just lay his hand on a few sick folk and he healed just a few few sick people. Maybe an ingrown toenail or maybe a headache or something like that. You know, just, just a little something that, that, that uh, you know, you could take an aspirin or something and relieve the pain. Well, Jesus just did a few little things like that. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Unbelief was the thing that was robbing them. Unbelief was the thing that was coming in and taking away or stealing uh, the, the, the victory out, out of their lives. Now, people won't believe it just because you said so. In Mark chapter 3, go back just a little bit further and look, look at some of the things they said. Look what they said about him. In Mark chapter three and uh, and verse number uh, 21. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him. In other words, he was was preaching and teaching and doing miracles and and saying all manner of things that God was doing. And when they heard it, now now the cross reference says friends means his kin folks, his kinsmen. Uh, When they heard it, they went out and laid, to lay hold on him. And they said, he is beside himself. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. He's lost his mind. Now, when you begin, if you begin to believe God, if you begin to, to do something for God, your folks are going to, going to say that you're crazy also. They're already saying it. So you might as well go on and, and, you know, go whole hog for God. You might as well go all the way, you know, and get both feet in this thing and go on and get something done for God because they already think you've lost your mind. Uh, you know, I could go back and recall in, in my life when, when I made the switch from uh, traditional, denominational, de- uh, uh, whatever they call it, you know, you just just existing. When I, when I moved away from that and began to get into Word of Faith and began to believe God, you, you, you would be surprised some of the things that, that my family said to me. You'd be surprised. Have you lost your mind? What is wrong with you? We, we, we've, been, we've been like this, they say. You know, we've been in this denomination for centuries. Your granddaddy, your great granddaddy, as long as we can remember, we have believed it this way. Well, keep on believing it that way and you keep on getting the same uh, lousy results you're getting. So so people think you're crazy anyway. So the church, because people won't believe the message, and and, you know, the church will just sit around and and, and do nothing. The church is just sitting around and, and does nothing, waiting for God to move, waiting for God to do something. Oh God, if you don't intervene, if you don't do something, guess what? He's already done it. He's already done all he's going to do. They're just sitting around waiting for the handwriting on the wall. But you already have that handwriting. Matthew 28. Matthew, go and teach all nations. He's already written it. Told you what to do. In uh, Mark 16, go into all the world, preach the gospel, cast out devils, lay hands on the sick, pray for the sick. He's already told you what to do. But the church just simply won't do it. Now it's time for the church to get up and do that and become, as pastor says, proof producers. Go look at Acts chapter 1. Look at this one scripture. Just one verse of scripture in Acts chapter 1. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Well, has the Holy Ghost come on you? Do you have the Holy Ghost? Everybody in this room have the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Then touch the person next door to you and say, you shall receive power. Okay? All right. Be- because the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, there's a purpose for that. There's a reason There is a reason that God allowed the power to come on you. He says, so that you can be a witness, a proof producer. Now, a witness comes in court and produces proof. When you witness that something happened, you come into the courtroom and the lawyer says, well, this is my next witness. And you get on the stand and the purpose for you being there is to prove that something did or did not happen that something is or is not true. Well, Jesus says, you're going to be a proof producer unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. In other words, we're going to go everywhere preaching the gospel, but the church is afraid. The church sits around and says, well, what if? What if? What if? What if? We need to get that what if out of our vocabulary. The church sits around and says, what if they don't believe? The church is just afraid, so afraid. In in. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 it says for God hath not given us the spirit of fear but he's took fear away and done what? He's given us power, love and a sound mind so he took fear out but people are still afraid now there's three things people are afraid of they're afraid of faces they're afraid of failure and they're afraid of fanaticism but in uh, Romans gospel chapter 1 verse 16 Paul said I'm not ashamed I'm not ashamed of the power of God Because it is, I'm not afraid of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God. I am not ashamed. You know, people just are afraid of faces and can't stand up and witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. They have great difficulty witnessing to someone about Jesus, especially their own family. They find difficulty looking somebody right in the eye. You know, just in casual conversation, I watch, I watch people and watch their eyes when they're talking to you. You ever talk to somebody and, and they're not looking at you, they're looking over your shoulder while they're talking? You ever notice that, Lambion? Yes. People won't look you right smack in the eye. I like a man to look me right in the eye when he's, telling, when he's talking to me because I can look in his eye and I can tell if he's sincere. I can tell if he really means what he says. I can tell if he knows what he's talking about. If he'll look me right square in the eye and not look over my shoulder. But when he's looking around, talking, looking all around, I say, well, this dude don't know what he's talking about. He's trying to think this mess up while he's going along. He's looking, it's written on the <laughs> ceiling. You know, they say, well, let me see. What am I thinking about today? What do I want to talk to you about? And they're just looking all up in the sky. You ever, people, you ever seen people do that? I, one time there was a, 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 a guy, he was making a speech, and, and he lost his track, and he, and, he, and he said, and he was quoting somebody, he said, and so-and-so said, and he said, uh, J.C. Penney said... <laughs> he, had, he had to look, look inside at his note but he got his wrong note see? And, But anyway people do that don't they, they just look all around and, 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 uh, But look, look people right smack in the eye when you're talking to them Amen. Be sincere with people Be like the apostle Paul said I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ Because it's the power of God unto salvation What I'm telling you I've experienced you see let them know that you are genuine, you are for real. Don't be afraid of the faces of men. Don't be afraid, because look, they're a person just like you. They're nothing but human beings just like you. Let me rephrase that. They're human beings, but they're not like you, because you've got the power of God in your life, and they don't. You've got something they don't have. You've got heaven backing you up. God, Jesus Christ already has said, "Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven." He's saying, "I stand behind you, so don't be ashamed, don't be afraid of the faces of men. Now Not afraid of failure, but don't be afraid of failure either. Don't be afraid that you're going to fail." Uh, Isaiah 54:14 says, uh, "In that in that area, not that particular verse. I think it's uh, verse 14, 15, 16, maybe verse 17." No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. So don't be afraid that you're going to fail. God says in his word, my word will accomplish the purpose where I send it. The thing that I send my word to do, it's going to accomplish. So when you look in a person's eye and you sincerely believe the message of Jesus Christ and you tell them that Jesus saves, what's Jesus going to do? He's going to save. If you tell him Jesus heals, what's Jesus going to do? He's going to heal. Jesus delivers. What's he going to do? He's going to deliver because he's going his word is not coming back void. If we're preaching the word, we're going to get the results that the word will produce. Amen? So don't be afraid of failure. And then some people are afraid of being a fanatic. (coughs) Fanaticism. You ever heard anybody say, well he's just so heavenly minded he's no earthly good you won't never get that heavenly minded. Now you might be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. Your mind may be steeped in the gutter and so full of trash that God can't work through you, but you'll never get so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good (laughs) because God will be able to use you in some way or another. Besides that, Gloria Copeland said, it's easier to restrain a fanatic than it is to raise the dead. So go ahead and be a fanatic. If you get too far off the end, we'll just kind of reel you in a little bit We'll just kind of hold you back just a little bit. I'd rather do that than try to raise you from the dead. Amen? (laughs) So, don't be afraid to preach that Jesus heals because healing has already come. In uh, Psalms 107 verse 20, it says this, he sent his word and did what? Heal. Heal. Heal them. So if the word has been sent and they've been healed, then we're already healed. In Isaiah 53, verse number one says, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? A question. What a question mark. Here's the answer to that question. The power of God is manifest in the lives of those who will dare to believe his word. So if you just believe the word of God concerning healing, it will manifest in your life. Because if you read on down three, four, and five, those verses of scripture says, he has borne our griefs, our sicknesses, carried our sorrows, carried our pains, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And what? With his stripes you are healed. are healed. So the prophet Isaiah took a future event and made it a present tense reality. Jesus is coming. And because he is coming, you are healed. Prophetically, he was bringing healing into the present tense. And then in 1 Peter 2, 24, Peter looks back on an event that had already happened and says, by his stripes you were healed. So, so it, it, if, if it's in the future and if it's in the past, then where has it got to be? It's got to be in the present. It's got to be right now. So we don't need to wonder what God is going to do concerning our healing we, because it's already done. <coughs> and if, but if you'll only believe in the word of God, failure is an impossibility to you. It will, you cannot fail if you believe in the word of God. First John chapter four and verse four. What does it say? Anybody know? Huh? Says so you are of God, little children, and you have. what? Overcome. Have. That's right. You have overcome them. Now what it, how, English uh, students, professors, teachers, what tense is Have. It can be past, can it? And in this case, it is past. It is past tense. You have already overcome them. So, any, anything that you encounter, Jesus has already done it for you. So, we don't have to go back and fight that battle all over again. Because, greater is He that lives in you than He that is in, in the world. Then in uh, 1 John chapter 5, uh, and I've got there verses 1 through 5, but you can just look at, I think, it's, I think it's verse 4, it might be verse 5. It says, This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you have done what to the world? You've overcome the world. So you're not the defeated you are the overcomer. You are the victor already. So we, we just need to believe in the miracles, signs, and wonders of Jesus, and we need to be doing those things. So it is time again that the church become proof producers. The works are to advertise the gospel. Secondly, now if you read through those scriptures, I don't have time to go through them with you, but if you read through every one of those five scriptures that I have right there, we will see that as Jesus did miracles, signs, and wonders, multitudes came. He had a crowd. And he healed all of them. And then the next two or three verses says, when the people saw, they came. When the people saw, they came. And you'll see a pattern uh, uh, present itself in those five scriptures. The fame of Jesus went throughout all the world. When the works were performed, everywhere the message about signs, wonders, and miracles was spread. Crowds came to hear the gospel message. It's no different today. You preach the message today, you'll get the same results. Signs, wonders, and miracles will ring the dinner bell, and people will come to see and come to hear the mighty works God is doing through the church today. And I'll add on the last page here, it is the only way that we're going to reach the masses is with miracles, signs, and wonders. That's the only way we're going to get the attention of the world. You can go out on -on one-on-one evangelism, and in your lifetime, win a few hundred to the Lord Jesus Christ. But with miracles, signs, and wonders, you can reach thousands in one meeting. In one meeting, you can reach thousands in one meeting. The works of Jesus is the only way to reach the masses today. God is ready. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready to go do the works of God? Now, sometimes, as we read in Jesus' life in Mark chapter 6, verse 1, people won't let you you see, because of unbelief. Uh, A hometown boy, they just believe the person is for hometown and they don't believe him. Man controls it. God, they won't let God do the work. Uh, In uh, Psalm 78, verse 41, it says they drew back because of doubt and unbelief. In the wilderness, they drew back and limited the Holy One of Israel. So you see, God was limited because of their unbelief. Now, I want to to show you this. Hebrews chapter 12. I I did want to get that scripture in for you. I don't you go to Hebrews chapter 12, and I want to to show you something there that I believe the, the Word of God is telling us. Sometimes we... We, uh, we look at scriptures and we, we say it one way when I think God really is telling us something else. Wherefore seeing we also, verse one, are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now I've heard people say in this, uh, read this verse of scripture, and they say, well, every person has a particular sin or particular area that they're weak in and the devil realizes that and he'll keep that thing in the forefront you know before you and, and what you need to do is to recognize this area of your weakness and lay that weakness aside you know whatever it is that, that, that you're doing that's hindering you from God to lay it aside but notice that the sin is singular the sin that besets us so apparently it's the same sin that besets everybody it's the same sin that affects everybody and I will uh Surmise to you today that that sin is doubt. Mm-hmm. That sin is doubt. Because look at the very next statement or sentence. You see, behind us, is that a comma or a period behind us? Huh? It's a comma, isn't it? So the, so the sentence is not over. Looking, lay aside the sin the, and set the race forth, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Mm-hmm. Our faith. So we need to lay aside doubt and get into faith. Sin is un, a doubt, is, 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 is oh, unbelief, is sin. The sin of unbelief. This is the sin that will rob you of your victory. Because if, over in James uh, 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 1 and 4, we read just a bit ago, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Even our faith. So if you're not operating in faith, you're operating in doubt. But at the same time, now, uh, we were talking about a bit ago, people have no respect for the power of God. People don't respect the power of God anymore. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in uh, verse number 13 says, to esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake. For the work's sake. Not for the person's sake, but for the work's sake. I don't matter if it's a hometown boy or not. It don't matter if it's your brother or your sister or your husband or your wife or your father or your mother it don't matter what the relationship is it's not the messenger anyway it's the message it's the message the results that we're getting <clears throat> this, is, this was uh, the reason that he couldn't heal it was because of unbelief back in Mark chapter 6 and verse 6 it said Jesus marveled because of their unbelief now I want to uh, say something to you here the world is tired of ordinary Christianity <laughs> they're tired of just seeing the church sitting around doing nothing the world is looking for Superman today The world is looking for somebody with answers today. The world is is tired of of the condition it's in. And the world is wanting to see a change. And it's time for you and I, as as people, of men and women of God, to become proof producers and show them the way. John chapter 4, 14 and verse 12, Jesus said what? Greater works you shall do because I go to my Father. You go do these works and greater works you will do because I go to my Father. And and of course, uh, other scriptures, we we had uh, Matthew 28. And we had Mark 16. Go into all the world, preach the gospel of every creature. He b- believes and baptized shall be saved. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they'll cast out devils. They'll take up serpents. In other words, they will be able to manhandle the enemy. They'll be able to han- handle the devil and cast him out. They'll drink any deadly thing. It shall not hurt them. Supernatural protection to the men and women of God that are going and preaching the gospel. Supernatural protection. Now, I hear people say, well, when you, go, when you go in mission field, don't drink the water and don't do this and don't do that. Well, I'm not, uh, I wouldn't do anything foolish while I was there. But I would expect if I'm going preaching the gospel, I would expect supernatural protection. Because he said, go, and if you drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt you. Accidentally. He's not talking about going and doing something intentionally. Accidentally, he's talking about. So go produce the miracles. Go do the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is ready. God is waiting. It's time for the church to become proof producers. Amen? Amen. All right.